Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics industry. It's my great pleasure to welcome back today's program, Pravinder Johar, who is Chief Executive Officer at Bloom Global. And today we're going to talk about the state of supply chain control towers, insights from the Indago supply chain research community. So earlier this month, we asked members of our Indago supply chain research community, who are all supply chain logistics executives from manufacturing, retail, and distribution companies, if they are currently using control towers in their supply chain operations. 40% of the survey respondents said that they are, you know, that they have implemented one or more control towers. And another 16% said that they plan to implement one in the next 12 months. So in today's episode, we're going to analyze and discuss some of the Indago survey results. And it's great to welcome uh, Pravinder back on Talking Logistics to share his perspective, especially since the last time he was on the program, you know, we spoke about a related topic, cognitive command centers. So Pravinder, welcome back to Talking Logistics. Oh, thank you. It's just uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> I'm glad to be on the program. Excellent. Well, always a pleasure to have you as well. And, you know, like I said, you know, we, we talked about um, cognitive command centers, you know, a few weeks ago. And then it just so happened that we did a um, uh, an Indago survey on supply chain control towers, which is kind of a related topic. Um, and you know we got some results, and I thought it'd be great to have you be come back and kind of share your thoughts on it. Um, you, you know because I think there are some touch points between what we we discussed the, the last time. So as a way to get started, um, you, you know most of our Indago member respondents who have implemented a control tower. Are using multiple ones, right? Each one focused on, uh, you know, on, on different operations. So, do you see this, you know, quote unquote, fragmented approach? Uh, I mean, does that surprise you that the results came out that way? That more companies are using multiple ones as opposed to one single control tower that that spans across the end-to-end -end supply chain? And then, why do you think, you know, relatively few companies are using a single control tower versus, you know, multiple ones? So, I think. Um... The root of this goes kind of all the way back to when the SCORE model came out. And so if you go back to SCORE model, right, we said that supply chain is too complex, right? It has multiple functions, uh, four being plan, source, make, deliver. Then we added kind of the reverse <laughs> supply chain or reverse logistics as the fifth one. And for last 30 to 40 years, almost 40 years now, actually, we have been organizing our supply chains around those, uh, those areas. There's a planning organization, there's a procurement organization, there's a logistics organization, uh, order management, sometimes it's part of logistics, sometimes it's not part of it, there's a manufacturing component. And what, what tends to happen that these silos have continued to build up for processes, for organizations, and systems go with it. So, so you will end up with kind of, uh, I see so many definitions of control towers, uh, planning companies offering control towers, logistics companies offering control towers, even manufacturing software, again, kind of uh, uh, offering control towers too. And, and I'm not surprised at all that kind of there are still this silos which, which are continuing kind of in our industry. And then um, there's a lot of unlearning to do Right, so, so because it's been so deep rooted, right? Whether it's kind of the score model, uh, you know, my daughter just graduated from Penn State in supply chain undergrad, 
all classes were again organized around this planning and sourcing and this manufacturing and there is uh, there's logistics so we've been living in this that we have we have we have kind of siloed our own supply chains and then this will continue at least for for foreseeable future because old habits die hard kind of as you know yeah, no, I I I agree, and I, I you know I certainly remember the score model, and and like you said, I mean it's still being used a, a lot, and and of course you know the score model always represented it as a kind of a linear type of mm -hmm. supply chain, if you will, and of course we, you know, oh, as we've talked in previous episodes, and I'm I'm a huge proponent of you know I tend to take more of a network perspective these days and talk mm -hmm. about it from a network point of view as opposed to this linear you know uh you know model, and you know I I, I often wonder if it's kind of a chicken and egg type of thing because. I think you're, um, you know, you're right. I mean, a lot of these, a lot of technology companies have come up with their own uh, control towers based on their um, type of software that they provide. So, so TMS will have a control tower, WMS will have a control tower, planning system will have a control tower. Yeah. But in many ways, it's a reflection of how organizations are built, right? Because every every function kind of has their own metrics. Um, sometimes the, the left hand doesn't talk to what the right hand does. And that's why you, you kind of end up, you know, in situations where you're not, you're not really optimizing or managing as a whole, you're really optimizing each part, you know, separately. And, you know, we all know that when you try to optimize each part separately, you're not really, uh, you know, optimizing the whole, if you will. Um, so, so I think you're right. I think part of it is, you know, because it mirrors how companies are, uh, organize or tend to view it the way the metrics are set up, the way organizations are set up. And I think in, in one way, I wonder if you think that we have to kind of break that organizational model and kind of put in the the more balanced scorecard, let's say metrics in place and so forth for companies. And then when they start looking at technology, particularly something like control towers or cognitive command centers to kind of take that more end-to-end -end view. Yeah, I, I, think, I think so. And I think the other thing that goes through my head is that we go through cycles in, in supply chain, right? So, so if you think of the COVID uh, kind of was a different cycle. The cycle at that time was that uh, demand for most part was higher than supply. So, so when we talk about control towers, so many companies came out even on real-time transportation visibility, which kind of never really made sense in the broader context to me, still doesn't uh, to, to some extent, because that's, a, that's the shortest kind of cycle that you can think of, but everyone was chasing kind of that visibility. And even on visibility, it was no longer inventory visibility. It was no longer demand visibility. It had become a very small segment. If I just think of it, right? there's even a magic quadrant just for real-time transportation visibility, not kind of supply chain visibility part, <laughs> which, which, which we siloed to. And now we are in a cycle where kind of uh, the supply is somewhat kind of available. We are back worrying about demand. And if you go back kind of like uh, in early 2010s or so, we were in the same cycle, right? And so again, at that time, SNOP came in, which, which uh, then we created SNOE, which are again flavors of control tower, right? So we have sales and operations planning. We said, oh, the planning part is no longer an issue. We are moving to a point where you might have to worry about the supply side. So let's do SNOE. Then let's do real-time transportation visibility, but that's the segment that we can really see and then and, and, and control. And I think part of it has been for us to step back organizationally and talk about that these cycles will happen, right? And we need to go design our organizations, our processes, and our systems which are sustainable in itself. And that no matter what the cycle, 
if the demand is high or low, supply, but I shouldn't say low, demand is higher than supply or supply is higher than demand, we need to work through both of those cycles. And when I think of control towers now, kind of, that's where your simulation, your modeling, all other things comes in when you look at it holistically, right? because your needs are different depending on the type of environment you are in. And then, uh, uh, and then that's definitely part of the part of the issue that how do we organize ourselves in a way that you can look at holistic uh, holistic supply chain component yeah no absolutely i you know you know i agree and i think um you know at the end of the day i think um everyone needs to take a step back and you know in some ways we're, we're kind of becoming very reactionary and very siloed focus if you will but if we take a step back and say okay this is the state of technology of today this is what we've learned over the past few decades <laughs> around supply chain management in terms of leading practices and things that haven't worked historically and say, hey, if, if we have the opportunity now, in many ways, you can argue we do have the opportunity in many ways to kind of start from scratch, if you will, or kind of take a different perspective. Obviously, there's, there are the physical constraints that you have in terms of you know where manufacturing plants are right now and suppliers are and so forth. And those are a little bit harder to change. But from a technology standpoint, organizational standpoint, I think there's a big opportunity today to kind of take a step back and, you know, be more creative, be more innovative in terms of, uh, you know, how things are organized and how the technology, you know, you can then leverage technology to to move in a in a different direction. Um, so kind of related to, uh, you know, to this, you know, we we also asked our um, our Indago members to characterize their current control towers and and 80 percent of the respondents using control towers characterize their solutions as mostly decision support so that is that the users make decisions based on the data the analytics provided by the control tower versus only 20 percent who characterize their uh, solutions as mostly decision making that is that the control tower makes the decisions on, on what actions to take and then executes them Again, do these results surprise you? Um, and do you believe that control towers will become more "quote unquote" decision making moving forward? I think one, it's not surprising right? because the whole, if you think of the whole history of control towers, they started off with kind of very nice dashboards that people could look at. And kind of, if you go back twenty years back and see what kind of what what decision can they really really make? So I'm not surprised at all. Kind of that's what the current state of the control tower is, is that it's mostly decision support systems versus decision making um, uh, making systems too. I think the part which is which is changing though is um, that um, if you think of generative AI and we are all of a sudden. Uh, I think it's been the work for for few decades, right? but, but it started off really in 2015, 2016 with OpenAI kind of um, uh, getting getting formed uh, to now. And even at that time period on supply chain, we actually didn't pay attention to it. And all of a sudden, there was a version of chat GPT and it's, it's, a, it's almost kind of an inflection point, right? Where we all became that, oh, we do need an AI strategy, right? Kind of, that if I, Talk to the CEOs these days, right? So, so almost every boardroom wants to go look at an AI strategy. The chief supply chain officers are no different uh, from, from, from that perspective, right? And I start getting into that, okay, is, are we at a point where there truly is an inflection point and there's an interest where we can do something about looking at technology as a decision-making system? 
And I think if I go back to what are we generating to begin with in generative AI, we generate forecasts, we generate transportation plans, we generate kind of MRP, is, again, you're generating a plan. There's so much generation that needs to happen. And even when, they, when I'm making a decision, decision is back to that, this is what my plan is, or this is how I'm going to go execute. I think we are getting to a point where uh, where it might be more macro technology environment, which is kind of having kind of every company look at that. What is the future of their their systems look like, and what role those systems play? And I think that may be the maybe the final push that we needed to go away from this decision support systems to decision making systems for control towers. Yeah, no, I I agree, and certainly you know some of the technology. Um, you, you know, you can argue that, you know, becoming decision making decision making systems really were impossible, not possible, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, you know, just because of you know the the inherent technology, underlying technology capabilities is required to really take that more macro approach, really uh, make uh, have the system be able to uh, analyze and make recommendations and take actions in a in an operational time frame as opposed to you know taking hours if not days to you know be able to you know run through that um you know decision making process you know now we, with cloud computing and with AI and all these other things that we've talked about in the past um I think those the foundation is there to now you know be, be able to do that um but one of the critical um I guess limitations is and we also asked this um you know of Rendago members, is you know what what is the biggest you know challenge limitations with with the control towers you're using now, and data quality problems still persist. Um, was the biggest challenge that our survey respondents said. You know it was selected by ninety percent of the respondents. Again, data quality problems still persist, and the ranking second was we're still missing data visibility from important nodes in the supply chain, which was selected by sixty percent uh, of the respondents. And then for our members who aren't using control towers today, um, we need to fix our data quality issues first was one of the top reasons that they gave in terms of why they haven't implemented a control tower yet. So it all comes down always to that, you know, it, this is not surprising to me. It's not surprising to you, you know, data, data quality, uh, having black holes in the supply chain, you know, that seems to be the still the biggest hurdle, you know, out there. Um, I mean, how can companies overcome these these data related issues? I think, I mean, the answer is actually twofold, right? So, so I remember uh, talking to a chief supply chain officer about now twenty years back. Same same issue, right? So, so they were trying to it was a think of it as a fortune kind of twenty five company or so very fragmented kind of uh, environment for supply chain. And the first part was that, do I just go and collect, collect all the data that I'm going to eventually need to go run my supply chain? Or do I do it in parallel? Kind of, what comes? It's a chicken and egg situation, right? So, so yes, data is going to be an issue. If you don't have good data, no matter what technology you put on top of it, it's not going to go work. But the world has changed. The world has changed to a point where technology can actually produce higher quality data. And technology is now capable of working with imperfect data, right? 
And I think if you go down the path of that, you know, if you're going to go fix the data first and then go apply the control tower and other and go through the sequential nature of it, one, uh, the data is never going to be perfect. Right? So, so no matter what we do, data is not going to be perfect. I think you talked about it, kind of we look at supply chain as a chain, sequential versus at a network level. People are not going to share all the data. Right? So everyone's perspective is slightly different depending on the data that they are uh, they are looking at. So I think even if we are talking in 20 years from now, you're probably still going to hear that the data quality is not correct, right? And then my perspective has, has can been similar for years that you have to deploy technology which works with imperfect data and you have to have the technology which corrects the data versus kind of just looking at a project that I'm going to go do to improve my data quality and get visibility across all the point. Because what happens is a data that does not get used does not kind of stay correct. So, so there's a lot of data where it is back to the, if you go to a project, right? So that I'm going to go, I take a simple example. You're trying to run a sales and marketing organization and you want a list of all the companies that you want to sell to. And then they take any company, right? They made a CRM and they want to know all the companies that they want to run to. You can collect the data on all of those companies today. You might even get them correct today. But every day, some company, new companies will come up, some companies will go away, and then and that data, some contexts are going to change. Then the person you thought you were going to go sell to has already quit and has done kind of is, is working on another one. So it's not a static thing that I can go fix the data. Even in that simplest example, I cannot fix the data. But if I'm using it on an ongoing basis, right? And then, then take a simple example, okay, to say you were the person who was um, head of sales and I'm trying to sell the CRM for company A, if I'm reaching out to you, I will find out that you are no longer with that company and you are with another company and you will self-correct that particular data versus just sitting there that I need this perfect data to, to happen. In supply chain, this is the simplest example. Supply chain has millions of these variations. You're never going to get to a point where you have all the perfect data. You're always going to have movement. There are always going to be things which are going to go change. And instead of kind of waiting for that data quality to improve, you should probably use the technology that works with somewhat imperfect data. Right? You know, it kind of you need a base data, which is which is okay, right? So get to 60, 70%, 80% kind of good data. And then let the technology work on getting it to 90, 95, 98% or so. 100%, I don't think can happen given how large some of these supply chains are and how large these networks are because um, long time back kind of I think I had this um, uh, this discussion too that whenever we talk about synchronizing data the only word that comes out of mind that you will always be out of sync for a certain amount of time and, and think of it every system is different you're synchronizing data between multiple whether it's for a fraction of a second or a day or a month you're always going to be out of sync for a certain amount of time. Uh, so, so instead of looking for perfection on the data quality side, look for technology which actually improves your data quality and keeps it correct on an ongoing basis. Yeah, and that's, that's a great point. I think, it, it, you know, it's something that that's important to remember. I mean, you know, my two takeaways is, you know, one, if you, if you wait for perfect data to 
do any of this, you're never going to get started because you're never going to get to the point where you have perfect data. And I think too, and maybe this is a good topic for, for another conversation, but I think it's the, the real, the, the reality that a lot of this technology today, particularly with AI and machine learning and so forth, um, can help with the data quality issue. And I think a lot of companies don't realize that, that, you know, particularly when you're dealing with such large data sets, um, you know, the system can infer what the right, what the missing data might be, or what the, um, you know, fill in the blanks based on a lot of past historical uh, behaviors or, you know, previous interactions with a given supplier or trading partner, whatever the case might be. But the technology today can heal some of these data, you know, quality problems. So you're never going to get to hundred percent to your point, but technology today, particularly some of these newer innovations can help with the data quality problems, uh, you know, nonetheless. Um, Another challenge that, um, you know, our respondents said, you know, 50% of the respondents that are currently using control towers also highlighted, quote, system is unable to model, simulate different response options, and quote, lack of predictive and pres prescriptive analytics as other kind of main challenges or, or limitations. So where, where are we today in, in overcoming, you know, the, these limitations? Yeah, and I think kind of um, both predictive and prescriptive has been used just so much, kind of that, that sometimes I lose track of what people mean by it <laughs> these days because everyone means something different by by those two uh, two ones. Uh, and if I if I convert it into my own word, one was kind of like giving you a predictive is telling you what is likely going to happen, and you have to keep in mind that it's likely which means that there's a probability associated with it. It's not a hundred percent given. Whenever we are predicting the future or an outcome, it's a likely case, not not hundred percent guaranteed case to go begin with. Uh, so, and then when I get to the prescriptive one, it's trying to tell you that kind of, how do you change that outcome, right? Kind of, what do you have to go do? Uh, simple example, like do you, if the supply is higher than demand, do I need to lower price so that I can increase the demand or not? Right? So that's a prescription that this is how you go solve a particular problem that is likely going to going to happen. I think uh, it depends on the type of control tower you're using and what it really is capable of. If your control tower is essentially an exception reporting system, right? it's not going to be able to simulate what will likely happen in future. Right? But what, what I see the reverse too, if it is a, a system which is designed primarily around planning and simulation on control tower, it's not able to really react to the things that happen in real time and exceptions that, that come across. Right? And so when I'm thinking of these responses, what went through my head is that people who are probably using a control tower that came out of planning, are saying, yes, I can do simulation and modeling, right? But if they came out of their day using an old logistics control tower, they're back to, nope, it doesn't really allow me to do any simulation because that was designed only for exception one. But if you think of a holistic one, holistic control tower is bringing both of these capabilities together. And, uh, but, but even forgetting about the four type of control towers for plant source make deliver, I think there's just a big distinction between uh, is the is it primarily designed for planning, which looks for simulation and then kind of go forward what will likely happen, or is it designed for execution where you have to deal with the exceptions on a real time basis? And answer is that you need you need to combine both uh, to 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 be able to get the, the holistic view. 
Yeah. So, so I think, you know, definitely, I think building on what we spoke the last time, you know, when we talked about cognitive command centers, I mean, that really is really the, the coming together of, of both those, you know, both those things. Um, so, you know, there's, there's more to the, 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 the survey and more to the results. Uh, and, and I know we're going to make the report available, you know, for people to download, um, we'll, we'll include a link as part of this, uh, you know, as part of this video, but maybe, you know, as a way to wrap up, I mean, what was your biggest takeaway from, from the survey results? I think I mean, as I read through them, one was that um, the answers were not surprising, right? Question is that kind of what do you go do about it, right? In there too. And I think my takeaway continues to be that um, uh, the, the one one part which which we are we've been trying to realize for the last 40 years that, that supply chain and technology are intertwined. You know, so if you think of, kind of I'm a computer science undergrad, there is no field other than supply chain which uses computer science more, right? Because if you think of operations research, forecasting, kind of your hardcore computer science classes, if you really want to go and make use of it, you're back onto the supply chain side is where you go go huge computer science the 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 most. And it seems like that kind of the survey results are again indicating back to that when will there be a convergence? where we don't think of technology being outside of supply chain. And there's no term like a supply chain technology. Supply chain is kind of technology driven to begin with. I think I'll wrap up with kind of, I don't know if I told you or not, I was with um, uh, this year uh, in a meeting with the, I won't say the name of the person, but the person has been a chief supply chain officer and very well reputed person in there. And he said something which kind of, almost made me think he said in 10 years from now i will not be qualified to be a chief supply chain officer because i did not have a computer science background right? you know it is kind of i think it's probably not necessarily true that you need a computer science background to be a chief supply chain officer but the point he was trying to make that technology is changing so fast and is so intertwined with what we do on the supply chain uh, to, to begin with, that these two things are going to just converge at some point and it will become that kind of just second nature. It just like using a phone is second nature to us today. And we think of kind of prior to 2008, right? we didn't really think that every grandmother in China and India will be using a smartphone to communicate with each other and now it is second nature to them right that, that it's, 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 that can become second nature in less than 15 years right so if you think of 2008 it's only been 15 years 15 years from now i'm sure kind of technology will be so intertwined that we won't be talking about this as a separate area it will just be what we do in supply chain <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great thought. I mean, it's, it, you know, in terms of really becoming embedded within, you know, technology really becoming embedded within the DNA of what is supply chain management. And, uh, you know, so I have, a, I have my oldest son will be graduating next year with a computer science degree. So, you know, he hasn't, I, I've tried to get him into the supply chain side, you know, maybe we'll see what happens when he actually graduates and where, where he lands. But you know, if if you're if that's chief supply chain officer is right, you know who knows? Maybe he might become uh, you know chief supply chain officer someday with with that background. So we'll we'll see where it, where it goes. <laughs> Absolutely, I think I don't. I think I've told you that my son also graduated with computer science, started working, works for a large tech company, 
and he can't get out of supply chain discussions, even though he's a computer science person, because there's so many discussions which <laughs> which are all around supply chain these days. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so I'll tell my son that I say, well, whether, whether you want to or not, you may be dragged into supply chain one way or another. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Parvinder, always a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, thank you for sharing your uh, you know insights and, and perspective on the Indago survey results. Again, you know, we'll make the the, the report available soon uh, to everyone, so uh, you can everyone can read it. And there's more uh, qualitative comments that uh, our members uh, pr uh, provided as part of the, the the results, which I think are, are interesting as well. But uh, again, Pravinda, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I want to thank those of you that joined us. If you're watching this episode on demand, either at the Bloom Global uh, website or on Talking Logistics, and you've got a question or a comment for Pravinda, you can post it there, and I'm sure he'll be more than happy to respond via that medium. Again, thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you in a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day.